The Full Exposure Podcast is made possible by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn in appreciation for the contributions that artists and creative minds provide to our community. Arts and culture are essential to a rich and rewarding life, strengthening our overall well-being and our appreciation of all that we see, hear, and experience. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. Let's get right into this episode, you guys. Rob Bell was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2011. A global list that included the likes of Mark Zuckerberg, Beyonce, the Koch brothers, Oprah, Ai Weiwei, Michelle Obama, Larry Page from Google, and Julian Assange of WikiLeaks, among others. If that's not enough, Rob also toured with Oprah and has been profiled in The New Yorker. And to really set the stage for you guys for this episode, I have to take you back to before this podcast started earlier this year. I had begun to imagine a wish list of people I wanted to talk to as potential guests. A crazy variety of names would flash across my mind. Most of the early names I came up with seemed entirely plausible, mostly people local to Grand Rapids, like my friends, artists, or a whole host of interesting people that I've crossed paths with as a photographer over the last 20 or so years. Eventually, right next to the plausible list, I started another column of names that seemed like a complete stretch or at least really implausible people to have on my podcast. As both of these lists grew, this exercise of filling the implausible list seemed more and more silly to me. I mean, I didn't even technically have a podcast yet, and at that point, I could have written anybody's name down in the world because absolutely nothing was at stake. And I remember saying to myself, (laughs) yeah, right, immediately after I wrote the name Rob Bell down on the page. Rob founded one of the largest megachurches in Michigan and Mars Hill. He had written internationally best-selling books while a pastor there, but eventually Rob left the church he started and moved to Los Angeles to pursue, quote, other opportunities, unquote, after elders began challenging that his teachings were no longer biblical and this was too much for traditional evangelicals to stomach. He was labeled a heretic when his book Love Wins came out and was more or less unanimously ostracized by Christian leadership across the country. Rob is a complicated figure where I come from in West Michigan. For some people, he'd become an iconic spiritual hero And for others, he was a cautionary tale of someone who had lost their way in Christianity. And despite the fact that I often have to photograph people making an impact around our community, Rob and I had never actually crossed paths despite having many mutual acquaintances over the years. Roughly eight months after writing Rob's name down, I found myself in Los Angeles, shaking hands with him on the sidewalk in front of his house, and it felt a bit surreal. Rob and I talked for just over an hour, and then we made some portraits together in his backyard. So let's get right into this conversation. Let's explore the bigger picture from Los Angeles, California, on location with Rob Bell. Back up. I think we'll be a little more. Oh, no, I'm good. 
Real pros. We're real pros. <laughs> you don't get the marker. We come in from Grand Rapids, Rob. We, we come in, we come DIY. That's how we do it. Uh, thank you so much for having us here at your house. So uh, My pleasure. Welcome. Just a small, small world, how the, everything just sort of worked out. Mark Boss, our friend, mutual friend. Shout out to Boss Creative. Boss Creative. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of work with Mark. And so, oh, have you really? Uh, and then I had interviewed Ken. I know your brother, John, too. John. Do you, do uh, you know everybody? I know everybody. If it's GR, I know everybody, except I never met you before you left, which is awesome. Are. Yeah. No, it's even better. <laughs> I'd rather meet you in California than Grand Rapids. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So while you were out uh, running some errands and we were setting up... Oh, I the just, school run. The school run. Picking my daughter picking, up from yeah, school. Picking up That's like etched in stone. I love day. it. But I was snooping around your living room uh, coffee book, connect, or, uh, your book collection. Oh, that stack here. over there? Yeah. yeah. And there's so many things I want to talk to you about already. <laughs> because I got the same Beastie Boys book for Christmas. My daughters yeah. gave it to me. Yeah. I'm a huge Beastie Boys fan. Is that something that was just given to you, or do you know much about them, or is it just, I mean, obviously, you know, Beastie uh, Boys. No, I went and bought it as soon as I heard about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, and the book is, it's amazing. Yeah. It's uh, thorough. I don't even know what to say. Even, even how it's written. Everything about that book is amazing. Uh, yeah, everything. I just wish Adam was around. Yeah. yeah that was... There's like a sadness that permeates the whole thing. But like a there's a longing for him in it. I, you, like a be- but there's a beauty. It's sad and beautiful all at the same time. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be the same book. In that absence, I think is that that other thing that makes it more special. Well, the, and there's the uh, there's the mystery of the presence and absence. Right. Some people are like present, but they're absent at some level. It's like the relative or the sibling or whoever it is, the person in your life who they've made almost no impression. Right. Then there's also the person who's gone. Yes. And yet their absence is a form of presence. They're, they're more here than some people who are actually right. here. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a really in- interesting paradoxical phenomenon that is in a book like that in a, an amazing way. Especially, I think, with artists. It has something with music and these things that touch something that you can't describe in your psyche. It's just sure. becomes right, right. It's like part pre-verbal. Of the, yeah, exactly. It's... Uh, yeah, it's almost in the womb type of yes, the weird absolutely. suspension thing. The other thing was uh, Banksy. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yes, of course. What I do was, we even say? <laughs> I was in Madrid in, in the spring, and there was a massive Banksy exhibition out at the airport in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. And so it was. Uh, so I took my daughter. Uh, you know what? I just was on the way to the airport in Toronto. Last well, year, did it travel over there. I think did it's you? well. I think it's the same traveling exhibit. It was yeah, a warehouse out by the way. It's, it's yeah, going yeah. All, over, all over the world, but I hadn't seen the you know a lot of the prints and the work up close. I'd just seen it in book form yeah. or internet yeah. form. And there's something about just the punch to the face, yes. his commentary and art yes. is, and then the mystery of who he is and what he is and what he isn't. <laughs> Is on, oh, if it is a he, who knows? I was uh, in Brazil last summer and met a bunch of guys who are like work with him when he's in Brazil, who know him. Oh, cool! And it is a him. You can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, it, it was yeah, it was fascinating to talk with talk with them and yeah, he's what do we even say about him? In some senses, just the fact that the the prophetic 
the speaking of truth to power yes. could be funny, could be yeah. have a literary dimension, and have uh, an iconographic art. The, the, like the number of things he's doing that you've seen them or maybe a couple of them together, but then you link like four or five of them together. And just haven't so seen that. Layered. The image, I almost fell to my knees, uh, you know, uh, not lit- well, not literally, but um, buckling, like just that kind of knocked me over was it coordinated a couple of things from my medium of photography. It had the napalm girl. Yeah, and instead of soldiers and other people helping her walk, uh, you know, from it's from the photo, it's Ronald McDonald and somebody else, yeah. and it just almost made me yeah. burst yeah, out yeah, crying yeah. there yeah. just to see how he played with consumerism, yeah. war, suffering, unbelievable. I I just am so blown away. And then the other one, the coffee table book, is the Ai Weiwei one, and. Oh. And he's another one. So there's something about these subversives, which I'm sure you see this coming a a mile away, but there's something about this subtext of (laughs) speaking truth that I see in your collection in terms of just, oh, and Basquiat's the other one that I love. Oh, isn't that one? Jean-Michel Basquiat. That one's near the bottom. Oh, he, um, he, uh, the Broad downtown Yeah. L.A. has... A whole Basquiat room in that giant. They have the original of, of his head, the head one he did. Yeah. This is huge. And I swear, a number of times I've gone there just to stand in front of that for a while, and then I get my car and drive home. <laughs> it just I don't does think there's a better to way me. to meditate than that. The first time I saw um, Pollock's work, at, I never really thought, I never got Pollock in the context of a book. Oh, no, it has to be live. Right. And I yeah. went into a room of Pollock's yeah. at MoMA, and I. <laughs> It was electric. Right, right. Like, it affects like, the whole room. Now I get it. The whole room's, like, vibrating. Yeah. Yeah. So art has really played that that role. But I just I just found, you know... Oh, the other thing is the BC Boy book was on top of and crushing a, a Ram Dass book. It's just oh, the, the random order of the bookshelf. So, <laughs> I don't know, for, what does that mean? Uh, just one of the things we noticed when we looked at your books is there's a problem on the f- <laughs> second shelf. Maybe attend to that later, a very Robert. Peaceful philosopher, and you know, a very peaceful spirit. That's its own. Uh, yes, that's doing its own thing. There, they're doing um, their own thing. Um, well, anyway, that was just a nice segue. But again, thank you for having us at our home, at, at your home, our home. I just moved Sorry, in. No. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are doing for dinner tonight, but it seems like I'll I think it was a- uh, what we're doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thank you. Um, well, I. I've been following you. I, I grew up at Calvary, you know, a long time ago. You know, started under Gardner, then Lehman, then then Ed Dobson, and then I developed a professional relationship with Ed. I photographed some of his book covers, and now I've become friends with Kent, along with Mark Boss and Joy Ryder. I don't know if you know Joy Ryder. You Reiter. know the whole crew. Yeah, yeah, it's like this small, small world. <laughs> But I've always wanted, you know, and I've watched you from afar have this meteoric ride and then just this craziness that I'm so interested in. Okay. But I'm not interested in this, like, uh, <laughs> I told you uh, when we arrived, it's like, I don't know to assure you or reassure you that I'm not interested in this broken evangelical narrative for that, I, that I might be able to talk to you about and, like, figure out things. <laughs> and you just looked at the sun and you just said... Why would you think that would interest me? <laughs> now, I think I looked at a palm tree too. Yes, it's beautiful. 
But just that distance, I'm just curious about the distance now that you must feel having your family here raising it from this other sort of life that happened in West Michigan. Does it feel sort of like this? Feels like a long, slow evolution in a particular direction. It also feels like when curiosity takes on flesh and blood. So when Kristen and I got married, we had the sense that it was an adventure that you go on. Um, the great artist Robert Irwin. There's a book over there, Seeing is Forgetting the Name of the Thing One Sees, which mm-hmm. is my favorite book ever. It talks about pursuing a line of inquiry. So I think it's some early, like early 20s, I, uh, I stumbled into this art form known as the sermon. Mm-hmm. Although for many people that, and even for me, that word was like, oh, please. But it's I stumbled into it. Thing. It's a loaded thing. I stumbled into it as like Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream, like dangerous, poetic, subversive. Yeah. Um, it's uh, intellectually rigorous, but it's from the heart, but it's integrating who we could be, but honesty about who we are. It's, right. uh, so I use that word, and then this is what I mean by that word. Um, something for everybody, not something for these people over here in the corner, but what it means to be human, the depth yeah, the and human experience. What I think I appreciate and respect so much, especially over the last few years, is that you didn't use all those things to try to stay in a particular lane or that expected lane, or just that one silo of thought or those gutters on the bowling alley that keeps. It the was ball always from. about this art form and my curiosity about where I could, where it would take me. I was going to say where where I could take it, where it could take me. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, for Kristen and I, everything, our, our lives were, what's the new thing that's happening? What's the next thing that's happening? And how do we organize our lives around that? Right. So it was like this uh, pursuit or floating down a river. I don't know. There's endless images for it. So right. as, as, and I came up through like a particular tradition. Um, but that's part of the beauty of it is every great story is about leaving the known and heading into the unknown. Right. Um, that's always how it works. When you talk about the art form, I did, I want to talk to you about the Numas, but not probably how most people approach you about Numas. Mm. And it was just from a video, or a film and a video mm-hmm. perspective. And the production's now still in the video and film world around West Michigan. Those productions are legendary. They were shot 35 millimeter. <laughs> yes. I remember were, that. We were like, it has to be film. People right. were like, why? And we're like, just because it has to be. That's our answer. Well, and it was <laughs> part of the whole tapestry that plays into that art, that multi-layered sort of thing that wasn't yeah. just this thing. It, it worked with you. It worked with the message and the visuals. And it was pre-high bandwidth. It was pre-YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You could only see them on a DVD yeah. or at a church or in a lecture. And nobody center. was talking... You know, I was told uh, a publisher was like, no one's going to watch these. What, this isn't even a thing. This doesn't, this doesn't even exist. There's not, there's not a category. This isn't like a... I remember one guy who considered himself like an expert, like a global sort of... I understand what's going on. was like, now listen, Rob, maybe if you put these in the back of a book, one That's of your books, then somebody could like pull it out and maybe watch it. But yeah, right. but, um, but yeah no, nobody was talking about that. Yeah. But it's amazing to me. So I'm I'm curious from a, from that creative side of you that that curiosity standpoint. Yeah. When you have messages and sermons, and I think from mm-hmm. your 
what I'm reading into your career arc is when you were more of a a pastor, church leader yeah. in that mindset. But to use something as radical as almost a American cinema. Yes. Yeah. And that platform to speak so directly to people. That's what's so powerful about your speaking and you know, how you engage, of course. But there's something else about those that have this multi-layer, this yeah. music we talked about, you know, scoring and music. Yeah, and it yeah, had yeah. The whole, the whole yeah, package. Had was that, that, did you lead that or was that approach to you? I mean, I how had, did that collaboration happen? It was, a, it was a collaboration. I had, for a while, I kept thinking, there's got to be some way to capture this. Th- these live things I was doing, there was like, it was like a happening. Like there was a... And I was using a lot of, like I was covering the stage with dirt and setting things on fire. And I was using, I used a lot of visuals. So I had the sense there's got to be a way to capture this cinematically. Mm -hmm. And somebody had said, well, let's just start filming these live. But I had seen that on television. It was like, no, it's, it's. That's a recording, that's a secondary medium. That's a recording of an experience people are having. Right. It's like why the live album's never that good. Right. Because it's, um, it's not the primary experience. Yeah. And then some other people were like, well, let's figure it out. Let's start something. And a, a guy named Tom and a guy named Sonny and another guy named Tom were the main ones who were like, wait, let's, let's shoot on real film. Let's uh, make a script and then let's, Okay, so what would be the visual element of the thing you did? Then, mm-hmm. and then instead of telling the story, let's show it. Um, so I had had for a while. That I know there's a way to cinematically capture this that's yeah. never been seen. I know that. Yeah. And then these guys came along and helped took it put way it farther. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, and they just went beyond anything. I, so I would literally show up to the set. I had done the script, and we had worked and then brought in the second draft and the third draft. Mm-hmm. I just kept doing the script until everybody was like, okay, now we have something. Yeah. But then I would show up and they'd be like, okay, you're gonna dig a hole, you're gonna set this bonfire. They would like walk me through <laughs> what I was gonna do. Was <laughs> um, but that, that was, was the first them. one I saw, was this, this, <laughs> yeah, the this, bonfire, this yeah. explosion. Like, <laughs> I know that wasn't permitted properly, you're on some farmland, like, you know. We had giant crews, we, had, we were doing things we were flying, running out of daylight. People, it was just complete madness. Yeah. And then when people started watching them, it was like, it, it, the effect was just extraordinary to see what it did to people. Yeah. Well, I think it's because the craft was there, but it was the sto- it's it, enca- it encapsulated in a wholly different way, like you said, uh, different than seeing you do something really unique. Uh, in person, yeah, yeah, and it still was rooted in that, but it transformed it to this medium that felt important and heavy, yeah, in a way. But it was yeah. still had this it, ephemeral warmth and yeah. love and your passion and excitement, yeah, for the world. So, just as filmmaking pieces, I just have to like <laughs> hats off. People still talk about them, like Do the they really? production crews and like the Do they really? Are, yeah, they're legendary, man. It's crazy. Yeah, and then um, and then just these other sort of ancillary things that sprung out of that flannel. Mark Boss came out of that. Mark Boss. Mark Boss. Second <laughs> shout out. So I had too many yeah. shout outs for him. I'm, uh, well, we're going to dial it back. That'll be the last one. He doesn't need <laughs> any more. 
I have to do a shoot for him when I get when I get back in town. I'm excited about this motorcycle bill, which is cool. The other thing, just as long as we're on cinema, is a documentary, and I watched it again the second time. I did watch it when it first came out. Was the Heretic? Oh uh, yeah, documentary. Yeah. And I just have to ask you because I, I heard or I may have heard you being interviewed about it. Was this that you gave complete trust to this filmmaker? Yeah. The director sat here at this table, and his producer and said to Chris and I, we want, to, we want to follow you around for the next couple of years, and we have no idea what would come out of it. Yeah. But could we just follow you around with the camera? And, did and then you... we said, uh, we had to talk through a couple of things of access, but we were like, the only way we'll do it, you have to, it's not our film. You have complete creative control. He was like, you have no say, no editing. Good, we don't want it. It's not my film. So just, yeah, you can have access and you can film. And you didn't know, so I'm just curious about so that. I had no idea. I saw it at the premiere. What made you trust them? I'm just from that standpoint of two guys at your table going, we want to follow you around and, and then we're going to carve something up. And it's also at this time when people are throwing bombs at you like crazy. Oh, they are? No, I meant the, the <laughs> really, you hadn't heard? <laughs> It's I don't called, really it's live called in the, the heretic. I don't know if you heard that. So, so. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was night. That was 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I guess baby people were. It's, it's not. I don't really live in that no, world. Well, so. no, I know, but I mean, but um, about, I about... loved. I just love Andrew, the director. So, yeah. it just felt like a really interesting project. I felt like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what he came up with. And well, I also knew I might not. I might not like it. It might be rubbish. It might be fantastic. It might be something complete. Who knows? You're like I'll get. I'll deal with that after I see it, and just yeah. give them access. Yeah. Because I I think it's a it's a really great documentary, and I'm not just saying that because oh, I'm not gassing you up in any way. But it just the the way that the narrative was and how it unfolded, and how it. Um, just how it kind of continued to weave and reveal itself within the context of the controversies around mm. around. That's what I meant by throwing bombs. Mm-hmm. Just the controversy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw it once mm-hmm. at the premiere. And I haven't seen it since. So, well, I've seen I've it like, more than you now. That's, I have like very vague, like I yeah. sort of remember bits and pieces of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think everybody should if. if you know, a lot of people are going to listen to the podcast and see. I think they should watch it if they haven't, because it's it's a whole other side to the approach of who you are and how you craft things and mm-hmm. how you're bringing messaging out city to city and on mm-hmm. tour and and writing and things like that. So, anyway, that's probably enough on background. I want to really talk to you about a couple of things. All right, and and. Um, and I just, any way that you want to deviate or get off this thing or move around, that's <laughs> fine with me, all right? Okay. Um, so I want to talk to you about, you, you opened with it naturally, but you're talking about curiosity. Yeah. And you also have these uh, workshops and seminars that sort of help people crack into their creativity. But... You're an innovative, creative person in terms of how you're communicating. I'm just wondering, how is this create? What is this other level of creativity that is t- tapping into this energy that you're helping, sort of people see and feel differently about or access to? In my experience, most people, it's already within them, and. The real art is to create a space. 
like you, uh, you're working on, let's say you're working on your book and trying to figure out what the title is. I can give you 10 titles right now. What's much more interesting to me is to create the kind of space where we can go together and you can realize you've already been carrying the title around the whole time. Mm-hmm. So uh, in my experience, lots and lots of people just haven't been in environments and spaces that help them see that they probably have what they need and they probably had it the whole time. And when that happens, there is something, there's some alchemy. So actually I've been doing these events where people come, I have two chairs up front and they come and sit knee to knee with me and they start naming how they're stuck. Mm-hmm. And then I just, okay, okay, hold on. Do you notice anything in that last sentence? Any words, any words there that were loaded? Oh, inter- Why? Is there some other way? Now, I'll do something like, I'll put, I'll tell me about, put your hand on your heart and say that sentence again. How does that sentence feel? Uh, it feels dark. It feels, okay, well, you could always just describe it a different way. Yeah. Um, and when people see how much of this life that we're living can be created. Uh, I was doing this in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and a guy... Wait, what do you mean? Sorry, sorry to interrupt. What do you mean by that? I'd like to another layer of like how much of this life can be created, and you mean by intentionality? I uh, mean how many ways people are living according to assumptions they've just hand, been handed from their tribe. Okay, this is possible. This isn't. Sure. This is just how it is. And like that. Well, that's just how it is. What do you mean? Right. Um, how many things are unexamined, and when you um, just go a couple layers in. So an example, I ran into a woman who it's so hard to be the parent of a teenager. My daughter's never home. She's coming and going all the time. She just, oh, hold on, hold on. Uh, and immediately with the woman, I'm listening to her thinking, of course the daughter's coming and going. I'm feeling tension from this mom. Mm-hmm. The daughter has... The daughter's fine. <laughs> right. She's responding in great health. I have three daughters, so I know exactly the energy we're talking about. Who, but you think about the story, the mom, if you, can, you can feel this groove. Um, it's so difficult to be the parent of a teenager. And you can, the moment she said it, I was like, oh, she said this a thousand times. And she's saying this to herself a thousand times. And the daughter is responding. The mother could simply say, what an extraordinary opportunity to make a person and launch them in the world like a rocket. <laughs> what did I expect? Right. That it would just all be super smooth? Yeah, there's... So you'd like, right there, just pulling apart language patterns. Yeah. Um, we could take that apart. She could rename that, and then the entire situation changes. Um, and it's also that circular thinking of that energy, there, those are circles of energy of positivity or negativity that you <laughs> Absolutely. perpetuate. Absolutely. Which become the osmosis that goes out. You, you can actually, you sense, you, you said it yourself, you sensed it in, you felt tension and you just yeah, sat down right. with her. What would it be like to be in your home? Right. When exactly. I just, it's 10 seconds in, I'm like, I don't want to be around you. <laughs> <laughs> so my experience has been a lot of people, they know what they're here to do. Um, they, they have a sense of what the next step is mm-hmm. and just need the space to be like, okay. 
or even um, just a I'll moment that, of then. validation. Because if yeah. you're living inside your own head sometimes and you're not yeah. around the right people, that you don't know if it's you're not brave enough to try it on your own until someone tells you you've got something here. You know, yeah. you've got yeah. Um, you just need a witness. Yeah. And I'm grateful for those. Uh, I've had many of them over my career yeah, yeah, of yeah. something, and even recently with this silly podcast that's turned into something. And I'm in your, <laughs> I'm in, I'm at your dining room table uh, from Grand Rapids and arrived yesterday. You know, so. Um, but uh, I was talking to a guest I'll have on tomorrow. I'm going up to Malibu to to talk to somebody, and I'll tell you tell you who it is off air. It's maybe somebody you don't even know, but that's whatever. But he goes, hey, I listened to I listened to a few things because I invited him, sent him links and stuff. And he goes, I think you're really onto something here, like just from the concept of the portrait and filming at multimedia and then expanding a conversation. Although for our, just for clarification, we normally do the portrait first. Ah. And then the conversation. So glad you clarified. Well, I wanted <laughs> you to know why because it'll take me down a few pegs. I was where it's 80 degrees in LA and I thought if I do the photo shoot and then I sit down and have a conversation, I'm still going to be sweating. I'm a little larger than I want to be right now. So it's a, you know, I'm carrying some extra stuff around. But in any event, I don't even know where I went with that. Why did I even bring that up? Oh, it was about validation and people having, you know, just a little bit, just like what he told me on the phone this morning was like, okay, he's in television and this other stuff. So he's been around this world. And if he saw something and he's agreeing to being a a guest on it, 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 it helps me going. So I'm just, relating to what we were just talking about of saying these little moments yes. of validation become yeah. a huge, huge tornado later in a positive, I meant a positive yeah. tornado. Um, so how do you work on your own creativity? You're, I mean, how do you not say stuck? You're helping other people through these seminars, but how are you applying abstractly that journey of curiosity for yourself? I wouldn't say it. It's interesting you said work on it. I don't ever think about it. Like, uh, there's some way that you see the world um, that you can go into, like, whatever the UPS store to mail a package and it's just blah. Or you can just go in with the assumption that I'm going to interact with somebody and who knows what we'll end up talking about. Right. And I might just go in and hand them the package and walk out, or I may go in and suddenly we're chatting and. Something happens, mm-hmm. and you see the world a little differently. So, uh, well, that's why I'm gra- grateful for my job with the camera because the camera has brought me yes. forced engagements with people right, that right, I right, never right. would have met. In my There's life. something holy about the camera when you're taking someone's picture. Something very intimate about that. Thank you in for saying that because we say that I talk about that a lot. And something very relational, and the the photographers doing something in regards to your essence. There's some capturing there that there's like a sacred thing happening there. And I try to honor that yeah, in, my, yeah. in my portraiture because you've taken words that I say often about yeah, the, yeah. the experience and I can only, there yeah. is an exchange of intimacy that happens. Absolutely. Even if I'm only with uh, somebody well-known and I might only have two minutes to do their portrait. Mm-hmm. But out of that, when we're done and I put the camera down and some manager pulls him away and says, okay, hard stop, you know, so-and-so's going to go now. There's still that moment, like, where our relationship is different yes. than when they first sat down for yes. the camera. Yes. And it's a palpable sense of appreciation, yes. mutual, 
Yes. Like, thank you for taking my portrait or creating something. They've seen yeah. some thing that I've, I've, they have some idea of what I shot because it's digital. But uh, there's a vulnerability to it. Yes. So to entrust myself to you and your lens, there's a, uh, there's a vulnerability and a trust that leaves me very exposed. So there's, it's funny that, I mean, it's not a coincidence that it's exposed. The exposure is one of the main words. <laughs> The podcast is called Full Exposure. Oh, there you go. Um, and then how a camera, like I can only be in one place at one time, but a picture that you take gets reproduced countless times. So a particular version of me, this person is going to curate and send out into the world. There's something really uh, frighteningly honest about that. That like yes, it's we, really really it's powerful. It is, and, I, and that's what keeps me eminently interested in portraiture. And oddly enough, when I started my career, I was so phobic about shooting portraits, and now that's all I do. I avoided taking portraits, and I it was in the film ah, days. I can see that. Yeah, and then un, until I made a lot of mistakes early on with portraiture. And it just, I ran to architecture and I was shooting design and buildings. And, you know, that was my commercial craft. Cold concrete structures that and don't. It didn't care uh, if it was fat. It didn't, yes. it didn't have a bad hair yeah. day. It if never I, said, how do I look? If I screwed up, <laughs> or can you take 10 pounds off, you know, and post. Uh, but that's what drew me. Uh, I, was, I, I was away from that because um, even if I screwed up technically something, film or whatever, I could go back. If I waste your time today, I'm not coming back. You're not going to say yes, you know, to like do a redo, take two. And I had a couple of bad experiences, but then, and had to redo something. Like I didn't see a reflection of a strobe in somebody's glasses and I was shooting film and you get the film back and they're like not usable. And I wasn't Polaroiding. I wasn't technically doing some things I was supposed to do. But anyway, um, the... But at least a building I could go back to any time. It was just my time. I yeah. could go back and yeah, yeah. redo it. And the client may end up known that it might take an extra day or two, but I promise you it'll be worth it, you know, type of thing. And, but it overcame that. And now it's funny. It's my favorite thing to do in the world. And it's really changed my career. Like the uh, last 10 or 12 years is all this relationship of people. And now yeah. this extension in an odd way, the whole premise of, this, of the podcast is if I had two minutes with you or two days on a project to photograph you. We always had great conversations, even in two minutes of something. Some conversation would get started, and then the shoot ended, and you're like, okay, see you later. Have a great life. <laughs> well, maybe we'll catch up later. So it's, that's the whole premise. That's why you're here, it's, and I'm here. It's just like That's extend. why you're here. <laughs> that's why we're having dinner tonight, I understand, with your wife. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, all right, so creativity. Um, but do you think of any of these separate layers, like the, everything you're doing from producing, like, is it all, I'm wondering from books to um, other projects you have going, the tours, the helping people, do you see them as different creative efforts that require kind of different channels of your brain, or is it just from this one place, this source that you're just working from? The idea emerges within me and around me and then usually right away tells me the medium or the form. Mm -hmm. So it'll be like, 
this, I just wrote a couple plays recently. This is a play. It is. Um, this is a tour. This is a book. This is a... Have you written a play before? No. So what um, kind of gumption do you have, Rob did, Bell, uh, to think you could do that? Last year we did a workshop readings at a theater here in the neighborhood, and we cast it and sold out, I think, a couple nights of tickets, and then it was just... The, and I sat in the did crowd. You, you, did you direct the play? No, then? Kristen Hange did. She was okay. nominated for a Tony for Rock of Ages on Broadway. And she's like, oh, I'll direct. So she, she's directing. And uh, oh, so much fun. How do yeah. you find talent just around, hanging around L.A. like that? Yes. <laughs> I mean, we can just go down to the, we can go you down li- to the backyard you live in a, great spot, a couple blocks know, away. Not far from and the Largo and everything just else. Just throw a rock and half the... <laughs> Restaurant will be uh, <laughs> working on a script if they're not in there right. typing on something. Right. Um, but uh, let me let me back up to your yeah. question about everything is talking to everything else is the best way I could explain it. Mm-hmm. So my daughter and I were listening to Lizzo, um, and that's reminding me of the new Liam Gallagher documentary, as it was, which is reminding me of something Christopher Alexander says in one of his books, which is reminding me of riding by on a bike with my daughter, the John Elliott store, who just did a collab with LeBron, which reminds me of a piece of graffiti I just saw just before I saw you just now. Um, the Revolution Will Be Spray Painted is a new giant graffiti on a, right there in Beverly, like three blocks from here. Yeah. Uh, so textures, colors, things I've seen... Uh, they just trim that palm tree out there. It's all, uh, I'm trying to think how to say this. It's all talking. It's, it's, they're all parts of a whole. Yeah. Um, and you don't know what will so, be the catalyst of a relationship between the other that becomes this third thing. Right. So I just know that a lot of times it's the alchemy between all of these parts that exist within holes that generate something within that's like that's something mm-hmm. um, and then it grows it gains a head of steam other things like like a snowball going down a hill attach to it mm-hmm. um, and then I'll have uh, an idea that like um, this Everett Rogers this in 1962 this scholar wrote a book on the diffusion of innovation which is the innovation curve mm-hmm. that there are the innovators or the early adapters yeah. the early majority the late the majority 60s. the laggards yeah 62 um, but I've been thinking about the innovation curve in terms of anybody anywhere who is like, there's got to be a better way to do this. Right. Uh, some mom somewhere, some person who runs a floral shop, some public school teacher who's like, there's got to be a better way to teach math to third graders. Mm-hmm. Um, the bell curve of innovation, I'm just going to take it and put it on that person. You're now ex- exploring. Or if you're a parent... Um, no one's ever raised this kid. So at some level, we're innovating here because right. this kid hasn't been brought into the world before. Right. So suddenly this 1962 uh, curve is speaking to me about everybody everywhere who's like, there's got to be a better way to do this. Right. So if you even think about the curve graphically, at the very front innovator there is a tiny little bit of the people. So number one, if you feel lonely, uh-huh, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Number two, if it feels like two steps forward, three steps back. Yep. Right. Um, so that's what happens. And that's like a data thing. 
anthropology, sociology, technology, that, but then suddenly that's about every one of us, like, I know this is, I'm going to keep at this, because I think there's something here. Right. So that's what happens, is things that wouldn't be connected start talking to each other. Well, everything that you talked about from the, all these visual connections that you made, it was all about being present. Yes. And in the moment. So that's something I've been consciously working on for the last few years is just like, all I have is right now, it's you and me talking. (laughs) I want to be present and enjoy it. Yeah. And, but still my mind spinning about, I have Rob Bell with me, so I want it to be engaging and not like on a particular, you know, low base level. Of something I want, you know, I want to get into something because who, who gets this much of your time? Generally, you don't. The UPS guy doesn't unless it's a really great conversation. <laughs> Gilbert, yeah. Oh, Gilbert's his name. Yeah, yeah. You gotta know yeah. all these people. Oh, They're beautiful human You're beings. Just running around connecting to people. Hey, Gilbert. Hey, Barb. Yes, <laughs> that's how it works. Unbelievable. I just say yeah. I keep working on it, but the presence is what I'm talking about. And that's, yes. I've, I've been listening to, um, uh, you know, a lot of the Robcasts and some things like that and other conversations on other podcasts that, you've, that I've listened to. But that seems to be a, a consistent theme about what makes, if you're not present, I think it causes a lot of other problems, like uh, in terms of Absolutely. resolving, you can't even have um, gratitude necessarily if you're Correct. not taking a Correct. moment to be intentional Correct. about that. And, and, uh, this is not something that most people were taught, in, especially in any formal capacity. Right. So it's actually was central to lots of traditions. Um, but this uh, system that we're in is rigged against presence. So advertising, mm-hmm. the internet, you have a machine in your pocket that rings and tweets and such. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole particular system that we are navigating is rigged against presence. Mm-hmm. So it's just important for people to know this is a very countercultural, subversive thing to decide that you're going to be here and nowhere else. Um, well, even if I could take one more leap to that, and we don't have to necessarily go down that path very far, but I think that happens in a lot of Christianity too. It's just you're supposed to be kind of robotic in terms of how you relate and you turn things over and you trust, but you don't really <laughs> kind of like <laughs> quietly sort of like figure out and be still enough to go, okay. <laughs> That's funny. I, uh, like you think about the Psalms, this collection of prayers in the middle of the Hebrew scriptures, half of them are laments. Mm-hmm. So they're anger, angst, rage, betrayal, shaking your fists at the heavens. Where are you? Why do you hide your face from me? Um, why did my enemies come after me? So in the Psalms, being present to your deepest trauma, tragedy, loss, anger, rage, resentment mm-hmm. is central to being a human being. Uh, there's this great, in the stories of the life of Jesus, in one of the gospel accounts, he meets post-resurrection, according to the storyteller, he meets with his students. And the gospel writer says, and some of them worshiped him and some of them doubted, which is crap propaganda. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to tell, if you're trying to sell us on this guy being Messiah, Savior, something, why do you say at the very end a number of the people who are closest to him doubted? The the word in the Greek literally means to stand at a distance. Yeah. So this is terrible propaganda. Uh, it's also brilliant insight into what it means to be human. Yeah. 
that, that sometimes you're filled with confidence and conviction and sometimes uh, you're standing at a distance from your own life. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what's up or down or left or right. right. So for many people, anytime they got anywhere near religion or spirituality, it was immediately two columns, the good things and the bad things. You need to be over here, not over here. Right. Um, and my understanding of any vital spiritual tradition will always be the, the divine, the spirit, the spark, the creative energy is found in the full spectrum of human experience. Right. So like you think about, um, there's a story about Jesus on a cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is, the, it's the day God becomes an atheist. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's God and not God. Mm-hmm. Belief has with it unbelief, mm-hmm. not belief. This is all part of what it means to be human. Right. So you, um, you, you push any of that down, you repress any of that, you deny any of that, you pretend like you haven't experienced that. Right. Then that'll just create a shadow and it'll come up and express itself in some other way. Right. So, so I, I begin with the full mess yeah. of it all is divine. Right. And now you're free. Now you actually have a shot at joy. <laughs> exactly. But I love that. Uh, another thing, and I may have heard it in one of your, I've been listening more so recently. Um, when I started the podcast, I put your name on the list, not uh, kind of like I started to compile like, oh, who would I want to talk to just abstractly? Well, you were probably in the first 10 names I put down on my notes. You know what I mean? Like just whatever. So I started digging in to a little bit of more of what you're doing. Cause honestly you've been off. Like I don't, I'm not really that interested in hyper spiritual Christianity stuff in the next, in that, um, in the traditional sense of, you know, where we're from. And there's been a lot of experiences in my life that have led me to that path where it's now, it's more about the journey is really, there's many journeys, but the destination, it never really ends, but the destination, they all sort of lead to the same spot eventually. I think if you're open enough to keep exploring. Sure. And I also think, um, oh, I wanted to, uh, you talked about atheism, and I just want to, I love this quote by Ricky Gervais. I'm not, I'm not an atheist, but he's the best. He's like, when he argues with people that say there's only one God, and he's like, no, um, you, you're an atheist as well. There's thousands of gods, and you deny them all, except that I only deny one more god than you. <laughs> but you've denied thousands of other gods. And I just love that sort of idea, so Ricky Gervaisian, you know, in terms of, of who he is as an atheist, but how he frames that thinking. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess so. But I found, I found one, but I, just, I do the extra cancel on you, for the, on that god. Uh, Okay, so joy. So getting to joy. Can we connect? Can we try to connect kind of where we came from with just that journey and spirituality and sort of that openness and how that connects to joy and how you're framing this? And I don't want you to to give your tour talk necessarily, but but just those elements of it just for you personally, like how joy seems to be more accessible for some people than others and how we can get to a place where joy is more palpable and at our fingertips. Accessible for everybody, but it's a, it, there's a particular leap. For many people, if you start with happy, happy exists in a binary. There's happy as opposed to sad. The same way there's positive thinking as opposed to negative thinking. Mm-hmm. Joy contains 
the full spectrum of the human experience. So joy has plenty of room for sadness. It's not pushing or repressing anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, joy is this phenomena related to a realization that the universe keeps unfolding. It's been expanding for 13 billion years. Mm-hmm. It keeps making more. And so joy doesn't run and hide from the pain and the conflict and the anguish. It wraps its arms around all of it. Uh, actually, in this tour that I've been doing this year, I explore how in the ancient, sort of the alternative wisdom tradition, we're all going to die maybe soon. We're barely hanging on. There are very few guarantees. Right. Unpredictability is baked into the whole thing. You don't even know if you have tomorrow, so you should probably enjoy today. Yeah. So joy does not come from denying the impermanence and the fleeting nature of life. It comes from embracing how tragic, how brutal, and how brief this experience we're having is. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it heightens your sense of the precious, sacred, holy nature of this moment, because we do have this moment right here, right now. Right. And across every tradition, the wisest ones were the ones who always had a bit of a wink. They were always in on the joke. Yeah. So when you brought your heavy weight of the world this whole the game's rigged the sun's gonna melt in nine billion years it's all the way yeah uh-huh i know i know take a drink <laughs> right um that joy wasn't floating above or leaving behind or denying joy was fully aware of just how this thing can break your heart in a thousand ways and because of that we're going to be right here right now and actually enjoy it and that just changes, that just changes well, everything. I, I think, too, with suffering becomes this, you know, it is very much entwined in the human experience that makes you actually have elevated moments of joy because you've emerged from something. Yes. right. Or you've been tempered by something Absolutely. because of how Absolutely. life will eventually get yeah. around to punching you right in the mouth. Everybody that you meet, who, if, the, if you would use that word joy about them, you begin asking them basics about who they are and where they come from. And within a couple of minutes, they're telling you about the cancer, mm-hmm. about the loss of someone they love, about the bankruptcy. Right. Um, that's always how it works. Yeah. And then I survived, and I was still here. <laughs> and I became aware of what an extraordinary gift this is. Right. That's always how the story goes. I'll share with something very, very personal, but it... When my mind flipped about everything was our third daughter was born, um, before she was born, 38 weeks, had a massive brain hemorrhage in in the womb. We have our last ultrasound at like 39 weeks, and we find all this fluid on the brain. And then we're in for emergency C-section and getting the baby out, hydrocephalus, the blood clot had clogged the spinal fluid from leaving the brain so her head's filling up like a water balloon of the stuff so touch and go or NICU and ICU and all this other stuff but I and I had two healthy daughters previous to this so this is all a new thing yeah, right. you know it's like right, oh, right. what's going on and a lot of darkness uh, in, in terms of uh, literally being at the hospital at night and just I couldn't sleep anyway so we live close to the Helen DeVos Children's Hospital so I would just drive up at night and talk to my kid. I'd just hold her. And, um, but one night there was uh, this woman that I would see there, a mom. She gave birth to twins. She's wearing a bandana. And I'm like, okay, well, 
we're both here. It's three in the morning. Like I don't. No one cares about. It. But you know, she's wearing bandanas all the time. Every time I saw her, one of her twins is not doing well. Not gonna make it, probably. Mm. Mm. And we're just chatting. There's, there's literally we're in the, all the incubators around. We're holding, you know, our mm. kids, and she. We just get chatting, you know, and um, she just said that um, she was telling me about her boys and that one of them was you know, not going to make it. And she was so matter of a fact about it. But then um, she went on to say that, that she has cancer. Yeah. And she gave birth to these babies. And this unfairness that I was like, un- unbelievable that you could have a child like, I'm, my daughter might not make it. Your kids might not make it. But on top of that, we've got cancer. And uh, that... It didn't even dawn on me till months later, but there was a moment where I said, there are silver linings. There are things to, there are blessings in the complete yeah. fucked up shit. Yeah, yeah. The, of everything. Yeah. That you can still see that yeah. gift and go, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I thank you for that gift. Thank you for just sharing that. Yeah. Because it didn't reframe. I mean, she didn't do it to help me. No. But. That's but why that, it was so helpful. But out of that, hmm. then as, ever since that moment, I'm not sweating as many small things. You know, I mean, we yes. had we had a f- fairly positive outcome, and my daughter now there's a lot of lifelong things that she's dealing with. But that's she's perfect, you know, to me. And um, so, but out of that, if I haven't had those experiences, I never would have had this joy that I have now. Yeah, out of being here with you. Yeah, and. Tomorrow, yeah. somebody in six months ago. You know, I mean, like yeah. that. And this is why when people talk about joy as if it's like a light sort of, that's people who had it easy. Like, no, no. You're talking about happy. Joy is a deep resonance with something about the creative nature of the universe. Yeah. It's a different understanding of the fundamental fabric of this whole experience we're having. Yeah. Um, and it's not trivial or light. It's gone through the heavy to a, a lightness on the other side of the heavy. Mm-mm. That's a good story. Thank you for telling me that. That's really, really powerful. Well, it really it's way is. way beyond a good story. It's a, it's, a, it's a really, really powerful story. Well, I only told it to, and I, I, you know, it isn't something that it's hard for me to talk about, but yeah. also, it's also the core of who I've been for Right, it tilted years. something within yeah, you. Yeah, it was. It, 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 and once you see, you can't unsee. And I long for that, not the pain or not the other people. I long for those types of uh, additional experiences that yeah. can break me down, and I don't want the pain and sadness, but I want that <laughs> fundamental <laughs> shaking down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm yeah. that, like I. That's the only. It wasn't. I never had it when I asked at five years old to be saved. I didn't have that clouds parting and and your washed white as snow feeling and go on with your life. That never happened for me. Even though I said the Lord's, you know, salvation prayer a, a thousand times in my life, but the that was that moment, and that's been my my uh, thing. Mm-hmm. So, but I long for that in other areas of my life, whether it's um, tapping into some things that you are like, uh, you know, this journey that you've been around other philosophies and philosophers, and learning from all these parts of the human experience. In mm-hmm. the mind, what do you have a moment that was like that aha palpable to be like this? Before this happened, I thought one way, and after that, 
I thought of things a little bit differently. Uh, there was an endless, endless succession of, oh, moments. So I can, I can go back and just trace one after another, after another, after another. Like they've never stopped for years and years and years. So sometimes it's, sometimes there's an intellectual dimension. You just, you read, I remember reading, when I first started reading quantum physics, that first 13 billion years ago after the Big Bang, you just have particles and then particles bond with particles. So it forms atoms about three minutes into the life of the universe. Atoms begin to bond with other atoms. 300,000 years into the life of the universe, that forms molecules. Like, wait, the universe has been unfolding in a particular way. Similar essence bonds with similar essence, and that creates something new that has properties that aren't present at the earlier component level. <laughs> There's actually a pattern to how the universe has been unfolding. Mm-hmm. Eventually, molecules form cells about 9 billion years in. Then 13 billion years in, we show up. Right. Um, that's an astonishing story that you would never believe if I told it to you, and yet it's the, the best game in town at this moment for what's been happening here. Right. So there are moments like that where you're just, wait, uh... And that, getting back to the foundation shaking, that shakes a lot of everything else to its core. And it, it's re- it just opens it to you up. Yeah, it just opens you up. So, so, there were, so I remember um, discovering in my mid-20s, because I started giving sermons and I was a pastor in a church, but discovering Jesus was Jewish, which is like a bit of a duh. Mm-hmm. But wait, 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 this was a first century Jewish rabbi. So most of what he's saying... Um, there were two very famous rabbis before him, Hillel and Shammai, and the, they pretty much always disagreed on the big topics of the day. So most of the time when Jesus has been asked a question, there's a context there. People are wanting to know, do you side with Hillel or do you side with Shammai? Sure. And just a little bit of that background, and suddenly a lot of what he says, you see it in its context, and you're like, oh, this is, this is, like, this is like dangerous, political, subversive, clever, funny. Yeah. Um, I remember coming across the paradox in Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew scripture. Wait, the divine says I am outside of time. Like this is very sophisticated commentary on the nature of space time Mm -hmm. and that people have somehow taken this to be like primitive, barbaric, backwards. um, So so in different areas, uh, I'm trying to think of, I mean, pieces of art I've seen that just uh, some people built a house in New Zealand called, I think it was called House of Light because they wanted their home to be a place that would do something to you. Mm-hmm. And these, we were in New Zealand on tour and they said, like, do you want to go see this house these people built? Like, okay. So we go over to these people's house and they had built like this white glass cube and they had meant for their home to be a place that would give you like an experience you couldn't forget, like you couldn't unsee. Sure. And it did it. Yeah, we just walked into these random strangers. We just walked in the front of their house. They gave us, walked us through their house. And Kristen and I were just, it was like devastating yeah. what they'd done with this space. So I can go back through sure. architecture, music, yeah. philosophy, yeah. sacred texts, cosmology, quantum yeah. physics. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. It comes in, it comes in all the doors, <laughs> let alone surfing. Um, yeah. I... Uh, That's a, my, uh, a number of things have happened to me in the ocean that I don't even know how to talk about. So I don't, <laughs> other than... Because they're hard to describe or you want to just have it for some yourself? Some of it's just for myself. Some yeah. of it's just a wave. It's an orbital pattern of energy moving yeah. across the face of the planet, and you get in it, on it. You get in science. 
like your writing science in terms yeah, of like a, a manifestation of something. something. And when you get in the water, you wait for the wave. So you adjust to this larger time frame that's out of your control. And you're riding a wave that was probably a pulse off the coast of Japan yeah. a week ago or something. So um, a number of things, let alone like sharks and dolphins and seals and stingrays and pelicans and... <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, a stingray went under my board in the wave, and they just glide yeah. in their stingrayness, bat rayness, um, and you just sort of, yeah, you just have experiences over and over again that yeah. do something to you. Um, in the film, you're surfing. I was wondering if it's a spot where my buddy here surfs. Uh, is it down at the end of Sunset? Is that one of the places that you surf? Ah, uh, there's a place called Sunset. Oh, you, uh, in the Heretic? Yeah, it was at the end. I think, uh, yeah, I think that was Sunset Point. Yeah. Right near the and end of Sunset. And then he surfs in Malibu, too, but he was saying, too, uh, experiences. He's like, if there's a heavy rainfall here, no one will surf. Correct. He checks the water. Too- it takes about... Yeah, 48 to 72 hours, too. It's like there's cats and rats and <laughs> things just <laughs> floating in the ocean. There's actually like a like a app that I go to, the L.A. Isn't County, and it, you check the water quality. They check it each morning, then I check it. And uh, I just keep checking it. Till, okay, good. Green. <laughs> Green. Let's uh, go. Yeah. Well, I like that. All those things, though, that you've done is, um, I think, which is the challenge. If we can talk about, like, there's the layman people who have their lives and they're busy. Yes. All this growth that you have experiences because you're <clears throat> you've merged your creativity with being a professional sort of thinker and philosopher and sort of like uh, communicating hmm. these ideas. So in some respects you have a luxury of more time now that you're not pulled in a thousand directions, but yeah, you are I'm sure. It. Yeah. But that how do busy moms and dads who are yeah. in the either a find themselves worthy enough to say I need time for myself to go to these places in my mind with music or reading or a book yeah. or go go look at a basket painting for an hour and then leave <laughs> or go talk to the UPS guy yeah. you know what I mean like so it's yeah, hard yeah. because but it's everybody so, will it's tell a, you about the TV shows they're watching binging right so binging is now a word yeah and people will tell you how busy and stressed and how much is going on but haven't missed an episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Which, uh, no judgment, I loved it, loved yeah. it. But... No, there is uh, some, some some hypocrisy in that because... Oh, I, I don't uh, even... Well, I wasn't thinking about a hypocrisy as much as um, th- deciding that this is a space to explore is important. Yeah. And orienting your life around this. Yeah. So I meant the hypocrisy was more for me, like people said, oh, how long is your podcast? I go, oh, they go an hour, an hour and a half. And some people go, Oh, I don't I don't have that kind of time. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like I don't why would I listen to people talking for an hour and a half? I go, I understand conceptually, like why would you want to listen to two people talking for an hour and a half? But at the same time, it's like, especially if it's me, okay, I understand. Like, you don't have to, like, listen to me. But, like, don't say you don't have time because you oh, right. are up to speed on Friends uh, Season 12 <laughs> that you just rewatched for the next, you know, from the beginning just to get reacquainted with The Office or something, you know, <laughs> which I love all those things. But it isn't about time anymore. So that's an excuse. So it's mostly about corralling. Most people will, that's the first thing they shed is that 
sort of quiet, intentional time. And I don't, maybe I'm just speaking from my own sort of like chaotic thing. It's like sometimes. Well, I, I would begin to, with, with your question. My starting place would simply be the great movements in our life generally are not mountaintop transcendent experiences. Generally what happens is there are subtle shifts that happen down in the valley in the sweat and grime mm-hmm. and soil of everyday life. So uh, let's just pick something random. The person who has com- very stressful work, has long commute, etc., has this incredibly obnoxious coworker. It's like, oh, dear God, here they come again. I, 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 uh, even the subtle shift of this person gets under my skin in some supernatural way. So today I'm going to pretend like this person's my teacher. Yeah. And they're here to show me something. Yeah. Now you're gaming the system. That's an advanced player move. That, that was is. just a subtle shift from yeah. I cannot stand this person makes me insane mm-hmm. to why do they make me insane and is there a chance that they're a gift to teach me something? And well, in my, my experience... Takeaway, because you, you also... You, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, you started with the story of the mom on stage talking about her daughter and it was just a small frame of thinking about this life that she brought into the subtle world. Subtle shifts, yeah. Which is that little crack, it becomes like... Or you think about how many people, especially like in the first years of having a kid, it's exhausting, like we're trying to get through this stage. Right. And then later talk about how those photos of that little kid like move them beyond and oh, it went by so fast. Right. So uh, in my experience, the the movements that expand the heart and heighten your sensitivity to the fullness of life, to the great mystery that's present here and now, are these subtle shifts that happen not somewhere else, but in the course of paying bills and getting along with obnoxious neighbors and trying to figure out how to make some money to keep going. Right, right. Um, it's, the, it's the things that happen there yeah. that is where the thing actually gets tilted. I love it. We're not an hour five, so I want to honor your time and also we have stuff to do. The portrait. We have a portrait to do. We have a portrait to do. It's Rob. out of order, ladies and gentlemen, it's, but it's going to get done. Well, in the sunset so early in LA, so I have to be careful. Like compared to Michigan, we're at like 7.15, 7.20 right now and you guys are like 6.20. Beautiful light out there right now. It's looking good. I want to, this one other thing I want to ask you about, because I'm absolutely dumbfounded (laughs) about (laughs) the evangelical support of our president and this person. So we don't have to go there. I just, I just want to, but I just, I, I am without words. Yes. On jaw on the, like, Jaw on the floor cannot wrap my head around the appeal of this man. Well, it turns out that that movement, in the end, was morally bankrupt with a deeply corrupt heart. So it turns out that what you sensed all along, that actually is about power and greed, and it actually was. So in some senses, it's the gift of exposure. 
Um, you mentioned something. Yeah. I forget who who where I heard it, but you said it. Uh, was that this sort of system and that era of religion it may be in this sort of a death rattle death rose and it's the last hopefully of well, you think this. about yeah yeah you think about any time of of disruption or change and the personal is always the political and the political is the personal so whenever you see a political thing happening and wonder what's happening if you can find it in yourself so in times of disruption loss pain sorrow suffering we generally allow the pain to break us open and we move to greater inclusion, love, compassion, courage, or we dig in our heels, we insist, we fight it, we resist, and instead of becoming bigger, we become, we become bitter. Uh-huh. Instead of opening up, we close down. Right. So, so we see this. A friend of yours, uh, they lose somebody that they love, and you see them a year later, and some friends, you see them, and, and they're, they're like catatonic. Yeah. Um, they're still angry with the universe. They're still another friend, very similar thing happens, and they have become like a radiant lighthouse of compassion and empathy. Sure. Their heart is just as wide as the universe. Yeah. So uh, the world is changing. We know this. We know that globalization technology, we know that what we've done to the climate, we know that 21st century capitalism is. It actually had an arc built into it. It actually took us somewhere. It wasn't just a way of arranging ourselves, but it actually had... Um, and there... I mean, even just, the, even just this extraordinary diversity we're surrounded by. Mm-hmm. That either we weren't surrounded by it or we weren't aware that we were surrounded by it. Um, and all these voices that are adding so much depth and texture to things. Mm-hmm. You either embrace that and all the challenges that come with it. Like, what new thing wants to be birthed in this? Right. Which feels a little chaotic. Right now, or you just grab hold of this idea that there was an idealized state somewhere back there, yeah, and you resist it. So a lot of times, in some sense, your question was, "What is this?" It, it, there are intellectual dimensions to it. It can be explained. It also exists in preverbal energetic categories, which is why the person listening to your podcast gets in this debate at Thanksgiving mm-hmm. when their Uncle Phil gets all Fox News on them. <laughs> yeah, right. um, and they, they just know that what they're being told is wrong, but they stumble over their words. Partly it's an issue of energetic movements that are happening. Mm-hmm. And what we know about the universe is that it's been expanding for 13 billion years. The universe only knows one direction, which is forward. Right. It transcends and includes. Right. So sometimes it's helpful to know, oh, this is not forward. Yeah. This is an energetic movement back. The, the other, yeah, it's the, I'm at, pulling a quote from you again, the ancient and the future at the same time. Yes. And so in some senses, this is happening at some profound level. And empire and power and, I mean, the U.S. is the largest arms dealer in the history of the world. I mean, this this empire has a history and it's, <laughs> caused a lot of destruction, and mm-hmm. y- you either stand against which that. All of that, which complicates it even further, was uh, divine, divinely given. You know what I mean? Like it's blessed our country. Like we're 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 the chosen country by the evangelicals to be this beacon on the hill, right? <laughs> but we've that's dangerous, right there. Some of those ideas are really dangerous. <laughs> and, and then to monetize all these other things yes. under the umbrella of 
goodwill and uh, the advancement of, of a holy nation or a Christian nation. Yeah, it's the rest hard. of the world isn't under any of those illusions. Yeah. It is true if you travel enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so. cold. It, it, that's, I think, yeah. another one of our big problems as America, just to just be as reductive as possible, <laughs> is that we're a territory, <laughs> we are a large country and people don't leave enough to go sit in at a cafe in Italy or anywhere. Yeah, you, you, it's, it's uh, when you realize things that are, f- for many Americans, like, well, of course, um, aren't, of course, for the rest of the world. And, no. Yeah. And, yeah, for all our wealth that we keep touting, like, why don't you use some of that for some, ex- some curiosity and explore the world a little <laughs> bit more? It's the same thing that I've been thinking about a lot, which you probably figured out a hundred times by now and maybe writing a book. No, I don't know. <laughs> but like the, the point is, um, oh, she just warmed up to me. Um, the, uh, we was, have a dog, by the way, yeah, just for the record. Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to this dog's point that so out. What are you talking about? me all day, and now it's putting its I told on. you it would take a little while, and then she'd be your friend. Yeah, now we're buddies. Um, I tried to make friends a couple times when you were gone, and it wasn't happening. Did it wait until I was here? Yeah, yeah book about something. Oh, just the idea of like uh, the notion that if people live in close proximity to each other in some type of diversity, even if the neighborhoods aren't all diverse, but you live around enough people in large cities, they tend to be more liberal and a little more. But when you're in the middle of the country and it's small towns and everyone looks the same and it's, you know, they tend to be more fearful and I'm, again, being very reductive, but there's something about those maps you look at and you go, okay, why are these huge population centers blue and other ones? Yes, and I, and I'm, there are not, ancient patterns present in those maps. Those maps aren't that mysterious. Yeah. I mean, it's been, let's say, for a long, long time. Yeah. The great, the great question and the great invitation and the curiosity is how badly do people feel left out and burned by the system. Yeah. That in 2016, how deep does the resentment go that that man would be seen as an option, let alone like a savior of sorts? And wherever you are on the spectrum, that curiosity is needed. Right. How did people come to the view right. that this would be a step forward? When the person they entrusted to help them is just propping up even further the system that's correct. kept them down. Correct. This is not a revolution. Right. This is not yeah. a move forward. No. That's correct. All right. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Was there any final thoughts? <laughs> Things you, on your chest. You have this dopey guy from Grand Rapids coming to L.A. Nothing and dopey about this. Up. No, no. No, I really appreciate it. And... Um, I just love your work, and I love oh, it's, thank you. it's that means a it's, lot. it's important. Um, it's helped me mm. in times when I, you know, um, to reframe thinking, to mm. know it's even okay to mm-hmm. think outside of silos, and move forward in such a productive. For myself, I'm speaking in mm-hmm. in what wasn't productive before to be able to learn some things, try some ideas. Um, and move forward in a productive, constructive, intent, more intentional way in a way that was completely liberating. I know I'm talking abstractly, but I know exactly what you, you I know that you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. So for that, thank you. You know, as you travel the world that many people uh, 
have experienced the same thing. So it's a, an honor to be here with my friend. Mm, my pleasure. Right. My pleasure. Are you going to see Pete tomorrow night? Well, what did you guys think? Good episode? I know that after talking to Rob, I sort of want to pick up surfing and uh, go to the Pacific Ocean and ride that energy and encounter stingrays and things like that. It sounds fantastic. Hey, listen, I put a link to Rob's website, um, a link to his podcast as well, the Robcast, and uh, a link to a couple of other things that we talked about in this episode. One is the, the NUMA film, The Flame, that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Also, I put a link to uh, The Heretic, which is the documentary that was made about Rob by a, a film director, and it really is a fantastic documentary if you really want to go inside of Rob Bell's brain and while he's on tour and, and just kind of the tumult that um, cascaded on his career, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago. And uh, it's a fascinating film. I recommend that you watch it. Um, also, on the FullExposurePodcast.com website, you can see behind-the-scenes photos of our shoot at Rob's house in L.A. You can see the portraits. And there's also a lot of video excerpts from this conversation that we filmed at his dining room table. So if you want a little bit more of a, a slice of some appetizer nuggets of our conversation that are parceled out into video format... You can also see those at the fullexposurepodcast.com website. So, all right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that on-location episode. And this one was brought to us exclusively by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn. Without their support, these on-location episodes in Los Angeles and other places uh, would not be possible. So my utmost thanks again to Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn. All right, guys, let's do this. Let's have a great week. Go get it, everybody. Everybody.